flourish to attract higher levels of good health, personal and interpersonal relationships, and a deeper connection with spirit, you've tuned in at the right time and to the right place. This is Awakened Hearts with Rebecca and Boyd Campbell. In our program, we'll provide intuitive readings, insight, and guidance to help you connect with spirit and experience more from life. Now, here are your hosts, Rebecca and Boyd Campbell. Welcome, everyone. We are thrilled that you have joined us here today. We are your hosts, Rebecca Campbell. Boyd Campbell. And you are listening to Awakened Hearts on the 7th Wave channel of Voice America Talk Radio. You can contact us by email, hello at sundrahealing.com. Like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, connect with us on LinkedIn, add us on Google+, and of course, visit our website, sundrahealing.com. Today we have Donald Altman with us, and Donald is a psychotherapist, former Buddhist monk, international speaker, trainer, and award-winning author who is known as America's Mindfulness Coach. His most recent books, Clearing Emotional Clutter and Stay Mindful and Color, bring these powerful mindfulness tools directly to you. These mindful lifestyle tools are helpful for dealing with anything from stress, depression, and anxiety to pain and other challenging life issues. They are super effective and proven methods for enhancing your life with fulfillment and joy. Donald, welcome to the show. Well, hi, Rebecca and boy. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, we're very excited. Indeed. So, clearing emotional clutter. Uh that's something that all of us can definitely benefit from. <laughs> I think everybody's got full, <laughs> full luggage is up. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and, and the interesting thing about emotional clutter is how it's kind of invisible to us a lot of the time. You know, physical clutter, you can see the physical clutter. And uh, if you've ever seen anybody, maybe you've had a cluttered desk uh, of your own and you know what that's like. But emotional clutter is... Uh, Sometimes a little harder to understand and, and, and to figure out, you know, how do I clear that away? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, before we get into the conversation, Donald, I just wanted yeah. you to share with our listeners, where can they reach you? What webs Do you have a website mm. that would be best? Oh, yeah, absolutely, Rebecca. And that would be mindfulpractices.com. That's M-I-N-D-F-U-L practices, plural.com. And on that website, by the way, you can find, uh, you know, information about clearing emotional clutter. And also, um, uh, I have a newsletter up there called the Mindful Living Newsletter that you can subscribe to. And that will give you a new uh, meditation, a contemplation to work on once a month, some new information in the mindfulness field, and a nice little, um, uh, and an additional practical tool that you can just use anytime you want to help you uh, learn mindfulness. Awesome. Nice. That sounds great. So back to the emotional clutter and how yeah. you, you know, you said it's invisible. It, you know, we don't see it the same way we see physical clutter. So how do we know if we have emotional clutter? Well, I think there are a lot of ways. One is if you feel that you're under stress all the time and that you feel overwhelmed, uh, that's one signal of emotional clutter. Another one is if you just get very emotionally reactive and you have it, find it hard to balance out your emotional life. That's another sign. Another one is if you have uh, a lot of family issues, and I call that family emotional clutter or difficult people in your life you can't 
quite, uh, you know, figure out how to deal with those difficult people. And uh, I mean, those are all signs of emotional clutter. So can they, and, or if you worry about the future and so much to the extent that you really can't participate and get fulfilled in this moment, that's another sign of emotional clutter. Mm, okay. Yeah. So it's all these different ways, for example, that are just uh, really, uh, you know, blocking you from really living the life you would like to live. So you also talk about, uh, in your book, um, use a term, uh, inner Facebooking. Um, what do you mean by that? And I guess how can it help us? <laughs> well, that, you know, it's an interesting idea, this inner Facebooking. So if you are, you know, and uh, kids and every, everybody who's using Facebook nowadays, you know, you put up these posts on Facebook, right? And uh, you know that those can affect how you feel. Uh, when you see somebody else's post, it can make you feel good. Or maybe you think, oh, maybe you compare yourself to them. Oh, I'm not doing this well. Look at the vacation that they're on right now. So, uh, but we're putting up all these different posts. But in the same way, on a daily basis, we're putting up all these different posts in our mind. And so one way to start understanding what's happening, what the nature of mind is, and other, understanding how your thoughts could be affecting you is to is to become more aware of them. And I call that uh, inner Facebooking, that you start to notice the posts you're putting up in your head. And I want to step back for a moment, just mention something. You know, mm-hmm. uh, scientists have said, and I, and I have a lot of science and research, interesting research in Clearing Emotional Clutter book. But um, uh, scientists have said we can have between 25 thoughts per second in our mind. Now, that's a lot, right? Oh. Up to up to 125 thoughts per second. Uh, the Buddha thought we could actually have up to 3,000 thoughts per second. Uh, I remember saying when I said that in a workshop one time, a lady raised her hand and she said, "I have 4,000." <laughs> so we, you know, we can have a lot of thoughts. I mean, the mind can be incredibly fast in generating all these thoughts. Uh, but so I figured, if you take the low range, let's say 25 thoughts per second. And I did the math. In the course of a day, that equates to about 75,000 thoughts that we're all having. Now, how many of those thoughts really tell you something important about who you are as a person, right? Uh, Yeah, how many of those thoughts are really accurate or evidenced, you know, uh, true thoughts? And yet we tend to grab onto those thoughts sometimes or we, we think, oh, that thought defines who I am. And... So what happens is we get, a, we get a, you know, an incorrect view of ourselves, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, now, if you, you know, if you heard somebody else say the thoughts, that same thought, you might say, oh, that's ridiculous. But when it comes from within our own head, we tend to take it a lot more seriously. And so uh, interfacebooking is a way of what I call making uh, friends with your mind, right? Making friends with the clutter. We don't have to see all those cluttered thoughts as a horrible thing uh, but we can just notice oh uh, we can we can just have some constructive distance from those thoughts and so by noticing the what you're putting up in your facebooking in your mental facebooking you can just start to observe it in a more neutral uh, friendly way not trying to resist it or push away against those thoughts or say oh those thoughts mean I'm a horrible person but just to notice this is the creation of the mind you know, it's imagine that you're in a movie theater and you're watching a scary theater 
a scary movie, and you're on the edge of your seat, right, and your palms are sweaty, and then suddenly tur- somebody turns on the light, and then you realize, oh, wait, this is just a projection from a movie projector on the screen. And our minds have the same way of projecting uh, and that we can take it very seriously. And so uh, one way of clearing clutter is to start to watch the nature of your mind and also to get off of that emotional elevator. Uh, And I I have a chapter on that as well. But interface booking is an important tool uh, that I want people to start to, you know, if you have an emotion, if something happens, just name that emotion. Naming the emotion has actually been shown uh, through brain science to quiet down the uh, the part of the brain that is getting reactive. It's called the amygdala, see, in the inner limbic system of the brain. And when you just name the emotion, just that simple thing of just noticing, oh, oh, so I'm feeling anger here because somebody cut me off in the car, which is another kind of clutter, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, but uh, once I name the emotion. Um, observing the emotion, I can say, oh, well, what level, you know, how how angry, you know, was that? You know, how intense was that on a one to ten scale? Or when did my anger, you could start to inquire, you know, when did I first get, you know, upset when people would, you know, when I was in the car? When did that first happen? And now when you're inquiring and you're thinking about the anger, you're not in the grip of it anymore and you actually are distancing from it. And that's a way to uh, that's an important step in just distancing from emotional clutter. And so this is the, this book is really a training tool to help us kind of take control over the clutter that has, uh, you know, uh, uh, clung to us or stuck to us and, uh, you know, and, and to help us kind of just in a very kind and gentle way, kind of clear it away. Mm-hmm. So... When you were talking there about the the thoughts per second, yeah, I kind of I went inside there and you know I just I stopped and analyzed all my thoughts. I ended up with one. So I'm I'm assuming when you focus on it, the the mind becomes a little bit more quiet, and when you're not aware of it, is when it kind of runs away on you. Well, with all you, these, all I, these thoughts. Yeah. Sorry, I'm just saying with all these <laughs> thoughts. <laughs> yeah. You, you have a tendency, I think, to like pick one and focus on one. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong there, but. Well, you know, everybody's experience is going to be different, Boyd. So, I, you know, I would say that many people, when you sit and you start to watch your thoughts, if you haven't, you've probably done this kind of work before, and maybe that's why you didn't notice as many thoughts, but it's not uncommon for people to, when they sit down and just start to notice their thoughts. Let's say you did this for just for two minutes. Mm-hmm. You, you might be shocked at how many thoughts you have. You might have always had that number of thoughts, but you never noticed them before. And so some people are almost, you know, surprised at how many thoughts they have because they never stop to really look inside in that way. Now, if you focus on one of those thoughts, you could do that. That might kind of steady your mind. And, you know, there's a whole practice of just using a word to steady the mind. So you could think of a calming word, for example, like the word one or peace or something like that. And people use mantras. Mantras have a very ancient history of people choosing a phrase or a word and many many traditions or many of our uh, spiritual our wisdom traditions have uh, uh, different mantras that people have uh, used you know there's the Jesus prayer for example Um, there's the different Tibet has different uh, mantras but that kind of steadies the mind you can kind of focus and pay attention to that so um, 
but it, you know, it just it's it's a process really of starting to observe your thoughts. And you know, when I I, I actually uh, I ordained for a period of time in a Theravada Buddhist monastery, and that for me was uh, really uh, an important step on my own journey into exploring the <laughs> the clutter in the mind. When I went into the monastery, I, uh, you know, I, I was an emotional eater, and so I, in the monastery, you would actually, uh, you'd get up at like six thirty in the morning. You'd have a, you'd get up much earlier. I'm sorry, about three thirty or four. But at six thirty to seven, you'd have us breakfast. You'd have lunch from eleven to twelve, but you'd actually took a vow not to eat after twelve noon. And so given my personal history, I didn't, I really didn't know if that was possible. It really concerned me a lot. Mm-hmm. So I went in anyway, I went through this beautiful ordination ceremony. It was two or three hours long on a big grassy field and they were all Burmese monks. It was in this, uh, in the U.S. though, and um, small monastery, but wonderful teachers. And so um, I went through this ceremony and they brought myself and two other new monks back to this little room and there were three futons and they told me where to sit and so I just sat down on this futon and suddenly it hit me, oh my goodness, what have I done? I'm wearing this, you know, uh, a saffron colored robe, they had shaved off my hair and <laughs> kind of had, I don't know, I call it monk spire's remorse <laughs> and, and so, uh, what, you know, what do you do? At that kind of time, when you're feeling that stress, and for me, it would have been having some food. And I looked to my left. I couldn't believe what I saw. There was a little shelving unit, and on this shelf was a, a giant Cadbury's chocolate bar. <laughs> and I, <laughs> and I, oh yeah, and I and I wanted that chocolate bar. The first thought I had, believe it or not, was I thought somebody set me up. <laughs> like they were oh, no. so they put the chocolate bar there and so my mind went into a war on the one hand I had one part of me was saying oh I want that chocolate bar to make me feel better but then the other thought I had was wait I just took this vow not to eat after 12 noon and I can't eat the chocolate bar and so I sat there in kind of excruciating for like an hour kind of just torn between these thoughts even looking at the other monks, seeing if, what if I got the chocolate bar, would they see me eating it? And, uh, and finally, after a period of time, suddenly something happened and I was almost like I was jolted and I didn't realize it until later I learned about brain science that I had, I, I was suddenly, I was watching the thoughts. I wasn't in the grip of them anymore. And I was observing this emotional clutter, this war of my thoughts. And in that moment when it happened, when I got, when I was separated from them, I realized that I could honor the part of me that wanted the chocolate bar, and I could also follow my vows. That these were not mutually exclusive, and it was as if my my ability to sit with that those thoughts got larger, and it was a relief. It was it was such a sense of freedom in that moment. Mm, beautiful. And it, yeah, and it helped me get through. And I think this, you know, so that's the kind of wonderful process of. Getting, you know, it's really is a kind of liberation from the, the suffering that we create from the, all this mental clutter. That's amazing. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Oh, my, my pleasure. Did you ever find out why the chocolate bar was sitting there? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's a good point. Well, actually, I've you know, donated things to the monks all the time. And if they weren't necessarily going to use it, they just put them in different rooms. And later, they probably just donated it to someone. So I, I never did eat the right. chocolate bar. 
<laughs> I, would, I probably would have taken it home and framed it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that'd be a good uh, training example, sure. <laughs> yeah. You know, we're coming up to a break, and I think this is the perfect time for us to do that. So uh, we will see everybody here on the other side of two minutes. The Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Rebecca and Boyd have combined their years of experience to create a powerful and effective modality of healing. Each session is unique, tailored to your individual needs, and can be done in person or from any distance. Are you searching for your purpose, soul path, soulmate, or healing for mind, body, and spirit? Are you seeking relief from anxiety, depression, chronic illness, fatigue, or codependency? Book a healing session or receive a free email consultation today. Visit the services page at sundrahealing.com. Rebecca and Boyd have combined their years of experience and their twin flame connection to create powerful, transformational journeys through their classes, workshops, special events, and retreats. Join Rebecca and Boyd on your journey to deepen your connection with spirit and access divine intelligence. This allows healing, creates miracles, and manifests a life of joy and abundance in alignment with your highest good. Visit the classes page of sunderhealing.com and register today. Want to know what's going on behind the scenes with your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network host? How about what's new with our network? Make sure you check out the iRadio blog, a look at what's hot at Voice America and beyond. Visit www.iradioblog.com today. Get the inside scoop on every channel on our network, including breaking news, featured guests, blog posts from our hosts, and much more. Make sure you sign up for our newsletter for even more inside action. Visit iradioblog.com today and stay connected. Become a member of VoiceAmerica.com. It's easy and best of all, it's free. Start out by going to our homepage or any of our channels and click register at the top. Once you've created an account and signed in, you can create your own custom library, opt into our newsletter, search by show, host, guest, or topic of interest, or browse millions of hours of content across all of our Voice America radio channels. Membership gets you more. Visit VoiceAmerica.com today to get started and tailor the listening experience to your taste. You are listening to Awakened Hearts. To call in and connect to Rebecca and Boyd Campbell on today's program, please call 1-866-472-5795. Again, that's 1-866-472-5795. You may also send an email to hello at sundrahealing.com. Now, let's get back to the show. Welcome back, everyone. We are speaking with Donald Altman today, and we are talking about clearing emotional clutter. Uh, And do please, if there is anybody who does want to call in with questions or email, go ahead and do that today. We would love to address them. So just before we went to the break, we were talking about your experience uh, in the monastery Mm -hmm. there. Right. Yeah. Can you tell us what led you? to that 
point. I mean, you know, not everybody wakes yeah. up one day and says, I'm going to go be a Buddhist monk for a while. <laughs> that was something that I, uh, yeah, it was furthest from my mind. Well, there was a, I mean, I'd always done a different meditations. I was interested in spirituality and, and different paths and had done a number of different readings. But I, I went through a period of my life when I, uh, it was very challenging for me. And I noticed that there were some old patterns repeating. And so this is like kind of emotional clutter that keeps coming back to you like a boomerang. And around that time, somebody had said to me, uh, there's, uh, there's this uh, monk I would like you to meet. It was a friend of mine who told me that. And I met this monk. His name was the, the, the Venerable Uthilananda. He was, uh, had come to the U.S. from Burma in the late 70s. And um, it, when I met him, I mean, all I can say is, I mean, I grew up in Chicago, and uh, I had never met anybody like this before. We had this sense of wonderful sense of availability and compassion, and this, uh, uh, it was just, it was, you could feel it. It was just palpable. And um, so when I went through this other uh, difficult uh, period in my life again, of this repeating pattern, uh, and I was... Uh, really feeling very devastated at that time. And I thought, well, maybe you just suddenly I thought, well, I wonder if I could be uh, uh, helped and somehow find my way out of this by, and I'd gone to therapy, we'd done other things before when I, and of course I'm also a psychotherapist. I mean, I think that's uh, uh, a way of getting help, of course. But at the time I, for some reason, I just felt that this would help me. And I found out I could ordain with Uthilananda as the head of this monastery. And so, uh, and I was ripe for the experience. I think that's the other thing. Uh, I mean, I think uh, it's not mm-hmm. <laughs> the thing for everybody to do. Um, but uh, at the time, and given how I had been interested really in spiritual pursuits, it worked for me. And, uh, and I was ready for the experience. So, uh, I mean, I also am a great uh, uh, advocate of uh, uh, that you don't have to go into a monastery to learn how to uh, clear away that clutter. And so it but it turned my life uh, in a very different way. And uh, and and I'd been writing before that. But what happened was when I left the monastery, I started to do some re- retreats around um uh, using food as a, as a sacred path. And I wrote a book called Art of the Inner Meal, much of it, which I wrote in the monastery. And when um, people were coming to me and they were having issues, you know, after the workshop, they'd say, oh, you know, I have this anorexia problem or I have this bulimia problem. And I thought, well, I don't know how to work with those people in, you know, in a therapeutic way. So I went back to school and I got my graduate degree, became a psychotherapist, and uh, started working an eating disorder clinic for several years, an eating disorder, uh, intensive outpatient eating disorder clinic and a general psychiatric clinic, and had my own practice, my own uh, my own clinic for a period of time. And it's interesting to see how that experience in the monastery just changed the entire direction of my life. And it changed the kind of writing I did too. I mean, all, and I, I turned into writing uh, you know, books on mindfulness and, and, and self-help personal growth tools. And so mindfulness became a passion of mine. And for me, it's just so satisfying to see people who uh, were able to 
transform their lives in a positive way using these tools. I mean, they're ancient tools, but they're really designed for modern living. And I try to translate them into uh, ways that we can just apply them, like interface booking. <laughs> so I try to make them, uh, you know, bring uh, bring the modern sensibility to these ancient ancient tools. Wow. Mm, yeah, that's amazing. The perfect marriage. Thing. It's amazing um, when you were talking about um, when you when you met the um, the, the monk. Yeah. Um, how. I don't know if you've analyzed this in yourself, but I'm sitting here listening to your story, and that was a catalyst mm-hmm. for you. His presence, yeah. his, his enlightenment, the energy he was giving off yes, yes. spoke to your soul. So, yeah, beautiful. It just spoke to me. Yeah, it's really true. It really spoke to me. And I think we need to be open and, uh, and things like that will speak to us in our lives. And so we need to be open and, and uh, recognize that. And it's almost like a tuning fork that, you know, you almost are, when, when you hear a tuning fork, it's almost like you vibrate at the same <laughs> energy. Mm-hmm that and to recognize it is important absolutely have you ever have either of you ever had that similar kind of experience where you resonated with uh teaching or uh, a teacher absolutely yes. yeah 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 it, it, it has a big impact on you for a long time it changes like it's, it changes the path of your life for a while as you as you move forward and, and yeah. Yeah, absolutely and yeah. i believe that that uh, readings can do that too that books books can do that and i've uh, yeah i've experienced yeah. that reading different books yeah. so, and i hope my book becomes a catalyst for folks as well yeah. mm-hmm. well I'm, I'm sure it already is yeah yeah, yeah definitely you know you talk in uh, in the clearing emotional clutter book and in the stay mindful and color book about how strengths are really important. Mm. Um, can you elaborate on that for us? Oh yeah, I love to, <clears throat> because so many times we go through our day and we don't really recognize the different strengths that we have, and uh, strengths can actually uh, help us understand ourselves in a in a more complete way and help us appreciate really who we are. This is not a form of bragging, I want to mention, but a way of really just more accurately looking at all that we do throughout the course of a day. And it's easy to just say, uh, uh, oh, you know, I just do these things that just what my routine or, uh, you know, a lot of people tend to diminish or devalue their own strengths. So I think, uh, you know, if you look at just, uh, and, I, and I in workshops, I have people just tell the simple story of coming to the workshop and it's amazing how if you share that story in the way that I suggested, it actually reveals all these strengths. So, for example, uh, think about the time that you went to an appointment. It could be any appointment or you showed up somewhere. So, um, you know, what was your history around doing that, around getting on the freeway or, you know, or getting up at a certain time of day or getting the kids or the family out the door? So... And, you know, you had a lot of obstacles that you had to overcome there, right? You had to, uh, you probably had to have organizational skills. You had to use some discipline. Maybe you had breakfast in the morning, so that was a self-care. You know, you took care of yourself. Maybe walk the dog. That's a sign of compassion, strength of compassion. Maybe you had a sense of humor about, uh, you know, the things that were happening. That's, a, that's a, you know, sense of, uh, you know, it's this, that's a strength of laughter or humor, you know, or self-knowing mm. awareness. Um, you know, I, I'd say even if you find you go to the mall 
and you find your car in the in the parking lot, that's you know when you return, that's the strength of memory, isn't it? <laughs> you know, a, lot <laughs> yeah. of strength, a lot of things that we don't. And it's, believe me, in some of those malls when they're so gigantic, finding your cars, it's it's almost miraculous. So, oh, yeah. <laughs> but you know we have all these strengths throughout the day. Maybe you hold the door open for somebody, or you offer some little kind uh, advice to someone. That's a strength of hospitality. I mean, there, you know, so I think we need to start thinking about our strengths. And actually, research has shown that if you uh, use your strengths, it actually it actually helps with depression. But even beyond that, if you just want to enrich your day, why not think about your strengths? And why not tell another person the strengths you recognize in them, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, like even in, uh, as I'm being interviewed by the two of you, I hear a great sense of kindness and interest and curiosity. I mean, so I, those are your strengths that I, you have a lot more than that. But I think that, you know, if we could just share strengths with the people in our lives, we're also going to be building relationships. So it's not about our own, just about our own strengths, but it's about how we can use strengths to uh, enrich our relationships. And, uh, and it changes the story, doesn't it, about who, how we think of ourselves so that uh, 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 we start to see ourselves as as more, uh, you know, confident, competent in how we're getting through our day. And uh, and then you can even think about what strengths would help me move toward a future goal that I have. So you either have those strengths or maybe you want to develop new strengths. But here's a little thing that you could do. Anybody could do this, and I think it's wonderful. So I want you to think about maybe your three top strengths. And if you can't think of any, think of some that I'm sure other people have said things to you. You know, oh, you're you know such a good listener, or you're this or that. And I want you to think about these things. And so pick three top strengths. And for one week, I want you to take one of those strengths and put it into action one time each day or week. And in fact, this is in the, the Clearing Emotional Clutter book. And I have a lot of different lifestyle tools like this. Put that in action one day a week and then write down what happens. How does it make you feel? How does it make others feel? The next week, choose one more, one of the other strengths you had. Put that into action once, just one time a day. And that's all it takes. And so you'll really be thinking about that strength, about how you might apply it. And uh, and then you might find that it just spontaneously happens. That you find a time that you can use that strength. And then the next week, try a third, try your third strength. And, and this is a wonderful practice. And again, it's a wonderful way to help us uh, uh, understand uh, who we are more completely, but also to uh, build relationships by noticing the strengths of others. I mean, how often, you know, you could tell, you know, if you're with your partner one time a day, why, why not share a strength that you recognize in your partner, right? Or they could mm-hmm. share one back, share one back with you. Yeah. So it does. A, yeah. It does rewrite your daily story. Yeah. And it's a very loving practice. Actually, when you think about it, isn't it? It's very, uh, it's a kind and, uh, and loving practice. Absolutely. Yeah, it's very empowering when you um, share that with other people, too. It just um, expands their uh, egos, I guess. I'm not, for the lack of a better word, their, uh, <laughs> their, their sense of self-worth. Right? Yeah, 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 I think it's a self-worth and that they're going to, you know, just appreciate maybe you know, all the things that they're doing in the course of a day. 
Absolutely. So you were talking yeah, also in your book um, about transition. Um, I know with what Rebecca and I do, the people who come in, um, there's a lot of anxiety, a lot of fear in their lives, and, and they're coming in here for help. Um, transitioning is one of the biggest um, causes of, of anxiety. Um, can you share a little bit about that with us? What's your book on that? Oh, absolutely. Transition is something that a lot of people don't really talk about. Um, but when you're transitioning, um, you don't know what's going to happen next. And so there's a lot of uncertainty and a lot of, as you said, a lot of anxiety comes up. And and one of the reasons for that is in terms of brain science, there's a part of the brain that uh, is kind of like the smoke detector in the brain. It's called the amygdala. And it's a part of the brain. It's always on like a smoke detector, always receiving input from all your senses, uh, even the orienting orienting muscles in your neck and you're, you're turning around. Let's say you're entering a room and you're pivoting, you're, you're turn, looking at your head, you're, you're turning your head from side to side, you look around that room and you're receiving input. How safe is it in here? And so, you know, sometimes that smoke detector is too sensitized and it might uh, trigger an alarm when there's not really any smoke, right? Mm-hmm. And so we... Uh, we need to be aware that when we transition, that smoke detector can get overwhelmed, overloaded, and it might fire off. So uh, what's important with transitioning are um, one, one thing we can do, and I have some strategies for working with transitions. One is to know that when we leave a place, let's say you leave your home in the morning, that you are leaving your home base and uh, so what's important when you leave is having a connection with the people that are in your home, you know, um, closure and connection. So, you you know, you have some kind of ritual for saying goodbye, giving a hug, a little kiss or something. Or I wish you have a good day. And then connection is, you know, let, we'll stay in touch during the day. I'll text you or we'll, I'll give you a call later. OK, now, when you're entering a new place. That's about, you're also transitioning in, let's say you're going to your workplace or any place that you're entering. That's about safety and, and inclusion. You, want, you need to be, feel safe. I remember I worked with a, uh, a client and, and I remember her telling me that when she entered her workplace, everybody was at these cubicles or you know, everybody's working. Nobody said anything to her. Nobody said hello. She just didn't feel like she was included. And I don't know, I think she was maybe entering on whatever her shift was. And so I, I had her find one person who she could connect with and have a nice uh, welcoming, you know, conversation with so she could be welcomed in and feel safe. And so these are important things with transitioning is how are you, you know, how are you saying goodbye or when you return home at night? You know, are you just looking at the computer or the TV? You're not greeting your uh, people that come back into your home, whether your kids, your significant others. So we need to make face-to-face connection. We need to have a ritual for saying hello and goodbye. The other thing for transitions is that you can actually uh, try to trim down the number of transitions you make. Every time you make transitions, it's kind of a, a stress on you. It's a wear and tear. So let's say that you've got five different errands to run at the end of the day. You're done working. But they're all, you know, maybe three are located in one, you know, one area close to each other. Maybe two are located in another close by area. So I would say instead of trying to do all five at once or even on a, you know, 
uh, do the three that are closer and save the other two that are close to one another for another day. Or if you're working on a lot of projects, instead of switching from one project to another so many times, spend a little more time on each one of those projects so you don't have to switch between them as frequently. So you're just trimming down the number of transitions you're having to make and uh, that can make a difference you know, in, in actually reducing that emotional clutter. Mm. It would also improve your uh, effectiveness, I think, at what you're doing. Right, <laughs> right. So you're able to get a little more deep into things instead of just superficially maybe skimming the surface of this project, skimming, skimming the surface of this other one, but allowing you to go a little deeper and get a little more done. Yeah, it's a good point. Mm-hmm. We are at the perfect opportunity for our break again. And just before we slip into that, uh, for our local listeners, we do have some classes coming up. So on January 28th, we have Yusui Reiki Level 3. There's still a little bit of space in that class left. And then on February 4th, we have the Yusui Reiki Level 2. And on February 18th, we will be doing the Yusui Reiki Level 1. So keep those in mind, and we will see everybody on the other side of two minutes. The 7th Wave Channel on The Voice America Network. Rebecca and Boyd have combined their years of experience to create a powerful and effective modality of healing. Each session is unique, tailored to your individual needs, and can be done in person or from any distance. Are you searching for your purpose, soul path, soulmate, or healing for mind, body, and spirit? Are you seeking relief from anxiety, depression, chronic illness, fatigue, or codependency? Book a healing session or receive a free email consultation today. Visit the services page at sundrahealing.com. Rebecca and Boyd have combined their years of experience and their twin flame connection to create powerful, transformational journeys through their classes, workshops, special events, and retreats. Join Rebecca and Boyd on your journey to deepen your connection with spirit and access divine intelligence. This allows healing, creates miracles, and manifests a life of joy and abundance in alignment with your highest good. Visit the classes page of sunderhealing.com and register today. What sets apart VoiceAmerica.tv from the other video content providers on the Internet? Choice and flexibility means that you can host your video content live or on demand on the main VoiceAmerica.tv channels through your own branded media player or your own private TV channel. We support multiple media formats, so all of your video content can be in one place. We offer a number of advertising and video packages. For more information, visit VoiceAmerica.tv. If you think you've seen online TV like this before, let us surprise you. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Invite meaning and inspiration to your life. This is the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. listening to Awakened Hearts. 
To call in and connect to Rebecca and Boyd Campbell on today's program, please call 1-866-472-5795. Again, that's 1-866-472-5795. You may also send an email to hello at sundrahealing.com. Now, let's get back to the show. Welcome back, everyone. We have Donald Altman with us today, and we have been talking about clearing emotional clutter. And, well, we left off, we were talking about the transitions, and that was really, really helpful. Uh, Also, I can see it as a great time management tool combined in there, too, which is always, (laughs) always helpful nowadays for everybody. And then you've got uh, the coloring book. Uh, that's the stay oh, mindful yeah. in color. Yeah. And so maybe, well, maybe you could talk a little bit, first of all, about the benefits of the coloring aspect and, and how you've combined it into the practices. And then I specifically wanted to ask you about the the anger to heaven in one minute, that practice and illustration. Oh, okay. Yeah, well, I... Uh, the nice thing about coloring is how it's very integrative in, you know, and it's almost kind of holistic because you're using the body, you're using movement, you're using your visual awareness. Uh, you could color with music. You could turn it into a, uh, uh, you know, even uh, including uh, music and listening. And the other thing about it is that colors themselves can be very soothing. And there's a lot of research that shows about uh, the color and the brain, that green colors and blue colors and so forth are, are calming. Red can be more activating. And so you can use colors in here in a very interesting kind of a way. And so what I tried to do with this book was create something that's very unique. And there really isn't any other coloring book out it. So what Stay Mindful in Color does is I, I have uh, a series of different mindfulness practices and each mindfulness practice, and they're very short, you can do them in like one or two minutes, but each practice is on the left side of the page. On the right side of the page is an illustration that that uh, reinforces, kind of depicts the practice itself, so it's reinforcing visually. And the thing is, they're beautifully drawn. I, I was a wonderful artist named Paul Mendoza. And he is a, a film and comic artist. And um, But the drawings he did here are so graceful and just uh, so soothing and peaceful. And they're not super busy like some of the coloring books are. Mm-hmm. Uh, you actually feel you can do these. <laughs> and, <laughs> I, <laughs> and and so it um, uh, it's a great way to help anybody um, uh, clear clutter to find a sense of clarity, to find a sense of peace and calm and even optimism. And there even are some about strengths in here too, as well. So, um, so yeah, I got this idea for doing this book. I mean, I know coloring books are very popular, but I thought, well, how could I really do a, a true mindfulness book along with coloring? And um, so I'm very happy with the way it turned out. Very nice. Hmm. Yeah, mindfulness, it's almost like a meditation and while you're doing creation. Meditation and creation. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. right. That's right. It's yeah. very meditative, just the coloring itself, yeah. Yeah. So I'm wondering, can um, can you give us, I don't know if you can share this or not, some examples or an example of how um, this has helped somebody in your practice uh, applying this? 
Oh, yeah. Um, well, for example, um, I, I know of a, a, a person, this book just came out, so I'm sure I'll mm-hmm. get more feedback on it. Absolutely. But I know somebody actually who's a director of a, um, of a, of a senior center, and the seniors really, it, this really helps them, especially if somebody has, uh, you know, cognitive impairment or dementia, for example, that could, this could be extremely soothing for them and really help them uh, get centered. But even just for anybody, um, you know, I think it, it, uh, it's the kind of thing that, uh, for example, um, I've got different practice and hear about breathing practices, which actually uh, turn on the body's relaxation system. I have a stoplight, stoplight meditation in here. So what you can do that one in one minute when you're, uh, <laughs> you know, when you're stopped at a stoplight in your car. I've got one called the inner heat, the healing inner smile, which is a way to just um, smile inwardly at the body, connect with the body, drop out of the busy mind and get into the body. You know, I talked about controlling the elevator. I've got one of the elevator uh, meditations in here, control the elevator. And then, uh, Rebecca, you mentioned the from anger to heaven in one minute. Yeah, that sounds handy. (laughs) (laughs) And there's a beautiful, I just want to share the picture, the illustration here of like a volcano. There's a mountain spewing up and, you know, uh, and but then above the volcano is a is like a woman just floating almost like on a cloud, peaceful. And around her is like a mandala with hearts, right? So mm-hmm. how do you transform from feeling that anger and then lifting up, getting above that, transcending it, and finding that sense of peace? So the the uh, practice that I have here is very simple. First, you notice. The anger, that volcano inside, notice it in the body. Where is it in the body? And you could name it. You just say, oh, this is anger. A lot of people feel an emotion. They don't really give it a name. And giving it a name actually helps you uh, distance from it a little bit and quiet and, 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 and balance it out, quiet it down. Then I just have you take three long breaths. And with each exhalation, you just visualize the breath, carrying the anger out down your body. So as you exhale, it takes your anger and it carries it down, down the body, out, down the legs, down through the bottom of the feet, back into the earth for recycling. And you can take two or three of these nice breaths, just releasing, picturing the breath coming and going to wherever the anger is in the body, the tightness, the tension, the negativity, and exhaling it out, feeling it go down, 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 down the bottom of the feet, back into the earth, which is large enough to hold all of that. Then imagine third part, just imagine yourself floating. You can see yourself floating on a cloud or floating on a boat on a serene lake. Just feel the stillness of the calm, the water and the coolness. And then you say, I have just three little phrases here and they can help anybody feel safe. May I be safe and healthy. May I be free from anger and suffering. May I be at peace. So that's a very simple Mm. practice that you can use when you feel that you want to transition out of anger. And that will actually help calm you down. 
And then so the picture is a beautiful reminder of how to, that you can transcend that anger, that reactivity. And we, we you know we need to know how to do this. And a lot of times, we're, you know, we, we don't learn how to do that in school, do we? Definitely not. And, and we often don't learn how to do that in our own families, perhaps. So No. Yeah. So, um, so I'm glad you mentioned this particular one, uh, Rebecca, because that, that's one of my favorites, actually. Yeah. And I think I, you know, when you talk about identifying the emotion that you're feeling, that's really, really powerful because it that is setting you apart from the emotion. So you can see that the emotion is not you. Right. And it's also a nice way of just saying, you know, saying it's okay. I, this is what I was feeling here. And it's kind of owning it in a way. And I remember I worked with a, um, uh, a lady who would, uh, she would binge eat when she was upset. She would go to the drive-thru and she would order, I mean, just tons of food. And then she'd feel sick about herself. And she ate all that food. And I said, okay, mm-hmm. I said, what I want you to do is the next, next time you feel the need to do that, before you go through the drive-thru, I want you to sit in the parking lot there and I want you to just sit with whatever that feeling is. She didn't know what it was. And I said, I want you to give it a name and then see what happens. So she came back and she shared it was in a group. and It was very powerful. She said, you know, I, I had that yucky feeling and I just wanted it to go away. So I was going to eat the food and, you know, distract me from it. But I went to the parking lot and I sat, just sat there like you told me. And I said, I sat there for 40 minutes until I finally gave it a name. She said, I realized it was loneliness. Mm. And she said, once I knew that, she says, I knew the food wasn't going to make that go away. And I just drove away. I, I didn't go through the drive through Because she wow. had, yeah, because she actually experienced what she was feeling and trying to cover up. So there's also a benefit of just, you know, saying, oh, okay. I feel this and that's okay. I felt anger, I felt lonely or whatever. And we can own that, right? Not try to escape it or avoid it because mindfulness is not about trying to avoid or push away our feelings, but to accept accept and acknowledge them, but not necessarily have to react to them. So it's, it, you know, so uh, this can be a very, like you say, a very powerful practice of acknowledgement. And, and it's a first step to, you know, the what do I, how do I, what what got me angry and how can I make changes in my life? Wow. Mm-hmm. Do you, do you find that food is a really big, uh, I guess, tool or something that we emotionally gravitate to? You know, I know I've, I've done that oh, myself. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. In fact, there's, there's some really strong, uh, powerful research, for example, the American Psychological Association does what is called a survey of stress in America, and they do this uh, every year or two. And the research shows that eight of about, I'm sorry, about 70% of people, so two of every three persons has some, every on a daily basis, a physical or emotional symptom of stress. And over 30% of those people, when they go home, they either act out poorly on those in their family or they eat emotionally. So over 30% of those people are kind of are responding to the stresses in their daily life by eating emotionally. And we, of course, have an obesity issue in the U.S. And, 
Mm. And um, so, you know, we have to think about how we can uh, uh, discharge that uh, stress and negative emotion. You know, talking about transitions, one thing that I like to have people do to discharge that stress before they go back into the house is to do a take a nice walk in nature. And I and I and I talk about nature in both the Stay Mindful and Color and the Clearing Emotional Clutter books. That uh, spending time in nature, how healing that is for us, and uh, and it calms us down. <laughs> and it's a nice way to transition, or even just take a little break throughout the day. So I highly recommend for people to you know even if there's uh, uh, snow, <laughs> you could appreciate the snow, <laughs> or you can look into the sky, look at the look up the horizon or just look at some trees and, and, and that could be very nurturing. Very nice. Yeah, nature is so powerful and it's something that, you know, as our world gets so busy and, and technology is such a focus that uh, it's something that a lot of us don't connect with often. Yeah. Yeah, very true. Very true. And it's, and, and, um, you know, even when it comes to food, you know, if you ask kids nowadays, where does food come from? Many of them will say the grocery store. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Right. So, we, I mean, we need to even connect with the source of food. And I remember how uh, one time I, uh, uh, this is actually when I was in a monastery, I was driving by a um, uh, strawberry field. And I thought I would like to go pick the strawberries and see what that's like. So I actually went and I, I asked if I could do that. And uh, it was a wonderful experience, but it showed me how hard, you know, how hard that work is and yes. how hard the, you know, people that, uh, the food that comes to us, you know, there's a lot of tremendous amount of effort, energy that went into creating that. And uh, a lot of, you know, sunlight, a lot of, you know, nutrients from the soil, a lot of water. And so uh, it can really help us just pause and appreciate the food on our plate in a new way before we even take that first bite. Absolutely. You know, Donald, uh, we're coming to the end of the show, and but we just want to thank you so much for uh, being here today, sharing the space with us. Very nice. Oh, well. Oh, thank you, Rebecca and Boyd. I really appreciate it. And thank you for making this space available for people uh, like myself and yourselves to help uh uh, bring some uh, light into the world. Thank mm, you. Yeah, thank you. It's it's our pleasure. So you can reach Donald and keep up on what he's up to, his newsletter, all kinds of things at his website, mindfulpractices.com. You have been listening to Awakened Hearts. Join us next week, same time, same place, to further awaken, grow, and expand on this amazing spiritual journey together. From our hearts to yours, Namaste. Namaste. for tuning in this week to Awakened Hearts. Please join your hosts, Rebecca and Boyd Campbell, again next Monday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time and 12 noon Eastern Time on the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Until our next show, have an enlightened week.